Thank you, Kyle. Uh, uh, I was. Uh, it's just so much uh, nicer to uh, have someone facilitate class than than to have to think about all that. But prior to prior to uh, getting into it, and so Kyle and Michael uh, agreed to uh, kind of share those responsibilities. And Kyle also, you know, part of the part of our prayer list also needs to be about Camden. We, Camden's been on our prayer list for a long time. Um, and he's doing fine right now, but there's still, uh, we're waiting for the bone marrow stuff for the, uh, after the birth of their next child. And so keep Camden, who has a, a blood disorder, um, in our prayers as well. This morning, um, you know, when Josh and I divided, divided this book up, I had a, I had a, um, I had a definitive goal that I wanted to hear from someone else. Uh, Josh is uh, much more academic than I am, and I wanted to hear him do Melchizedek. But in second thought, Josh, you should have done chapter 6, and I should have done chapter because this is not any fun. <coughs> uh, someone asked me uh, this morning, are we going to talk about the difference between meat and milk? And yes, we are. And the problem being that this writer, and I think it's intentional, uh, he, he lamb blasts them. Well, let, let's, just, let's just follow the, the flow of the argument just for a second. So in chapter 1 he says, um, in the past God spoke through prophets, priests, kings. He spoke through all kinds of people. But now in this time, y'all are not, there's no way you're going to see this board over here. And I've got really important stuff written on it. Um, <laughs> In the past, God spoke through all these things, but now he speaks, literally the Greek says, through sunness. He's speaking to us through sunness. And uh, in chapter 2, he, he says the sun, uh, and, and I'm sorry, chapter 1, he, he says the, the sun is, is greater than angels or anything angels ever produced, meaning the law, Torah. Torah was given to angels through a mediator, Moses. But Torah was... So the sun is greater than all that. In chapter 2 he says, uh, but for a little while, Jesus became lower than the angels. That's the incarnation. That's because of us, because of our sin. And we're going to talk about that when we talk about Abraham in just a minute. And then chapters 3 and 4, he, he contemplates the deficiency of, of man, how weak we are. Take the children of Israel, for example. They, they could not enter God's rest because... They kept on sinning. They kept on doing things that were wrong. And in chapter 5, he says, um, but we have a better way. Here's the solution to our problem. Jesus Christ is the solution to the problem because he's bringing a priesthood that is unlike any other priesthood. You guys may know a lot about priests, but this is better than anything you've ever seen. And, uh, and then he gets to... Chapter 6, well, literally in 511 through 620 is a bit of a digression because what he wants to do in 511, he says, I want to talk to you about Melchizedek, but you're Northros, and I'm going to be kind, you're, you're slow to hear, not stupid, but you're slow to hear. And so I have to, I, and then he, for, for about this whole chapter, chapter 6, he gets mad about the situation that he's in, confronting. And so he, he says, you're babies. All you're doing is drinking milk. 
you haven't even touched the meat of it. And I, I do think that that is an important discussion that we need to have. Here's the, here's the point. I have 30 minutes, and this would take, I could take three weeks doing this on, on this chapter. So I've got to run through this because I want to leave you at the end with hope and promise, and that's what, that's what it leaves us with. Um, I, this week I spent my time um, dissecting about 47 Old Testament and New Testament scriptures that are related to this chapter alone. I love the Hebrew writer. Everything he says, every word he parses came from somewhere else, and he's putting it all together for us. Um, so, let's start reading the, the, this first chapter just, just a little bit, and uh, then we're going to stop and uh, do the real controversial stuff, and um, then we'll go beyond that. Therefore, let us leave the elementary teachings about Christ and go on maturity. Let's not talk about, the again, laying the foundation of repentance from acts that lead to death. Literally, that is from sacrifices. Let's not even talk about the sacrificial system. Let's not, and a faith in God, what we believe. These are the fundamentals. Instruction on baptism. The only baptism that Jewish people knew was proselyte baptism, where a Gentile would be converting to Judaism. That's, and that's early on. I mean, now we have Christian baptism. And so we're not even going to talk about that. The laying on of hands. Every time you, people were baptized, they would lay on hands and pray over them. Uh, the resurrection of the dead. Eternal judgment. Those things are the fundamentals. That's milk. That's milk. And now he is going to tell you about some meat. And here, here's the thing about meat. you got different kinds of meat. And I think looking at this, looking at this, and how the, I, I believe with all my heart that the Holy Spirit orchestrated every bit of Scripture that we have. Um, and there's a reason why these verses are in here, and I think it's for this. <clears throat> this is meat. And you got to wrestle with it. And this isn't even, I don't know how to say it, this isn't really great meat. This, like, like you get an Outback steak, like they'll, they'll, sometimes when I'm working on Saturdays, Dell will go to Outback and get me a steak for dinner. It's awesome. It just got, you know, that meat just kind of melts in your mouth. This is butt roast. <laughs> <clears throat> because, you can chew on this for about 30 minutes and you, you still, I don't know if I can swallow that. You know, is anybody around to do the Heimlich? Because I'm not really sure I can take this. You've got to spend some time deciphering this. And, more. and so I said that as a disclaimer. I have no idea where, um, well, I, I do have an idea where I would come down on it. But I, not enough to tell you where I would come down on it. And I would venture to guess if... We did a survey across the room. Um, different people would be in different places, and that's okay. Um, I've been at different places in my life on these verses, so let's just let's do it. For it's impossible for those who have been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, who have shared in the Holy Spirit, who have tasted the goodness of the Word of God and the powers of the coming age, if they fall away to be brought back to repentance. 
Because to their loss, they're crucifying the Son of God all over again and subjecting Him to public disgrace. There, I said it. There's been more written about that. There have been churches split over that. There are whole strains of theological thought over this. Um, That's a tough one. It's a tough gig. And I'll be honest with you, if you want to know what I feel about it, I'll tell you this. I don't think it has anything to do with what what we have interpreted that to be. I think it's totally, totally different. By the way, in chapter 6, it's almost a reiteration in chapter 10, but those are different. And by the way, Josh, I I get chapter 10 too. Thanks. Um, I know, I know, I know. Um, so, you know, so anyway, on the board here is, and there's probably 20 different variations of this, but in my opinion, these are the three that are most prevalent. So let's look. A Christian may turn from his faith and thus lose his salvation. That's number one. That's one way to interpret this. If an apparent, I'm sorry, I'm, now I'm killing you guys. If an apparent Christian apostatizes, then we, then we know that he was never really saved in the first place. If he loses his faith, then he was never really saved in the first place. And the third one would be the situation this group of professing Jewish believers faced is unique and unlike any other situation that believers might face today. Those are the three prevailing views. By the way, this is the Arminian view. This is the Calvinist view. And this is just the historical view. It's all written in Greek. <clears throat> <laughs> My Greek is actually better than that. <clears throat> um, I wrote it deliberately sloppy so every, every, nobody would be going, I wonder what he's saying. Um, these views, you know, I don't know what you think about this, but could, could a, um, can a Christian, you know, I, I, here's, here's where I'll say it. When I was 17 years old, I was in, I, I went to Boy State, uh, whatever that is. And um, I really don't know what we did. Uh, but I do know that the, uh, the leader there was like a 45-year-old man. And he, he said, tonight I'm going to have a devotional in my room. And I thought, okay, I, I, this will be good. So anyway, so I went to the devotional in his room. Basically what he was doing was he, he was a Southern Baptist and he was proselytizing. And that's fine. I'm, I'm fine with that. No problem. But when he got into this thing... He said, so you, if you give your, all you have to do is just confess Jesus as Lord. And well, number one, I'm church Christ. Uh, don't we have, to, what about the dunking? I mean, where does the dunking come in? <laughs> all you have to do is confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And once you do that, your sin, it can never be, your salvation can never be taken away from you. I go, whoa, whoa, whoa. Let's just, you know, so you're saying, all I have to do is say Jesus is Lord and then I can go and be a hellion and I'm good. Good with God. Absolutely. That's what I'm saying. That's, that's one of these versions. Christian may turn from his faith and thus lose his salvation. That's one. This one basically says you can't lose your salvation. Once saved, always saved. Well, what was the Church of Christ answer to once saved, always saved? For me, Hilton, it was if saved, barely saved. 
if if I if I did anything, if I I mean if I had a, a fleeting bad thought and I didn't ask repentance and got struck dead, I was gone, and I lived that way. So I don't I you know to tell you which one of these I like I I don't like I don't like any of them. To be honest with you, I do believe that people. Uh, Lee's looking cross at me because. <laughs> um, I do believe that that people, when I, I think people at different times in their lives, will buy into something, they'll buy into uh, to the whole Jesus thing, and they'll give their hearts and they'll give their lives. But then things happen to them, and I'm telling you, I've seen people just not only. Turn away and stop going to church, but be absolutely anti-Christos. Anti. Well, I don't know if there's salvation for that. I don't know just because you got, I, I, I struggle, I struggle with that. And so, not going to get any answers today, sports fans, but it's, it's a struggle. And this is, this is meat. You cannot read these verses and go home and go, well, I know how that ends. You, you can't. You can spend a lifetime reading and studying. I can exegete all those passages I exegeted, and I still don't know. I still don't know what the answer is. Tracy. One of the difficulties with this passage and this topic is that there's an emotional <coughs> component, and I think everybody struggles with it, and I've talked with so many people that it, it's kind of, a, I don't know if ironic is the best word, but we can look at other people and say, you know, regardless of what they did, God can forgive them. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter if they were a mass murderer, mm-hmm. they just raped and killed a bunch of people. Yes, God's grace is big enough for them. Amen. But then we say, but I don't know if he can forgive me. And, you know, that, that has something to do with being able to give grace to self. Mm-hmm. And so, in that, I think is an emotional. There's a strong emotional component to that, and that that colors how we interpret scripture. I, I would agree with that. I would agree. Uh, let me let me just say this because I don't, I don't want to I don't want to get off into the weeds here on this, but I will say that I believe it is intentional and on purpose that the Holy Spirit put these verses in here for us to struggle with them. And if you don't struggle with that, if you have the answer to this, come up and tell me after class because I, I really, I would love to know what the answer is. I think it's a tough, tough thing for us to read. But let me tell you where I think this text is going. See, I think this whole deal is pretty much made up. <laughs> Look with me. Therefore, let us Leave the elementary teachings about Christ and go into maturity. Let us lay the foundation for repentance from acts that lead to death and of faith in God. Instruction of baptism, lay on of hands, resurrection of dead, eternal judgment, and God permitting, we will do so. Verse 4. It's impossible for those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, who have shared in the Holy Spirit, who have tasted the goodness of the Word, the powers of the coming age, if they fall away, to be brought back to repentance because of their loss, they're crucifying the Son of God all over again and subjecting Him to public disgrace. See, I don't think he's talking about 
I think he's talking about an outside group. And I'll tell you, an outside group who's an inside group. That's what he's talking about. Is that confusing enough? I think in the early church, the biggest problem in the early church was the divide between Judaism and Christianity. <clears throat> Jews did not like Goyim. They didn't like the Goyim, Gentiles. And, you know, you, you remember all that argument back in Acts where they, they wanted to make the, Jew, make the uh, Gentiles that were converting Christianity be circumcised? No, we got, they got to be, you know, I'm telling you, there was a rift for the first hundred years in, in Christendom between Judaism and, and uh, Gentiles. And for the most part, I think the early church, Judaism went back. They went back to Judaism. And that's what he's confronting here in Hebrews. He's confronting those guys. I'm not going to do this, but if you look in, uh, if you, if you look in Matthew 26... We're not going to do this. I'll tell you the story. It's where <clears throat> Jesus and Bethany and um, Mary comes and anoints Jesus with oil. Remember that? And in Matthew, it says that the disciples got upset with Jesus because he allowed them to spend, her to spend that expensive oil on You go to John. You go to the book of John. And John said, John names it. Who is, who is it that, that did it? Judas. In, John, in Matthew, it's the disciples. In John, it's Judas. Now, Judas was with Jesus for three years. He went through the whole thing. And would you call Judas a disciple of Christ? No. He didn't believe. He didn't believe so much that he turned him in. And he's the griper. See, he had infiltrated the group, whether it was with pure motives or not, but he had infiltrated the group and he was corrupting the group. Do you see that? That's what I think we have in Hebrews. I think we've got guys who are powerful in this home church or in this group of people who are powerful and they're saying, you know, yeah, but I want to go back to temple. Tell Hamakim, it's our place. It's where we go. Um, what are we going to do during the high and holy days this year? When all those feasts and festivals have been fulfilled by Jesus, are we going to go and keep doing that? I think it's, it's the rift where Judaism and Christianity separate from one another. And I believe that's kind of where, where we are in this. Um, let's, let's finish reading just a little bit more. <clears throat> Land drinks in rain. Let, let, wait a minute. Let me say one more thing. If you, if you look through Scripture, and I did look through Scripture this week, the book of Acts, Romans, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Colossians, 1st and 2nd Timothy, and Titus all contain episodes where Jews and Christians can't work together as a church. That's pretty impressive. That's a pretty impressive block of material. And <laughs> up until last night, I was going to, we were going to read all those scriptures. <laughs> and then I thought better about that. Okay. <clears throat> Land that drinks in rain and often falling on it that produces a crop is useful to those who farm it. You have to work at it. 
and to receive the blessings of God. But land that produces thorn and thistles is worthless and in danger of being cursed. In the end, it will be burned. Even though we speak like this, dear friends, we are confident of better things for you, in your case, things that accompany salvation. God is not unjust. He will not forget your work and the love you have shown uh, to Him as you have helped His people and continue to help them. We passionately desire for you to show the same diligence to the very end in order to make your hope sure. You know that passage that we read this morning, the Lecto Divina passage? What did, you, what did you focus on? What word did you focus on this morning? Do you remember? I went to hope because I've been reading about hope all week. These people have a hope and they're anchoring their hope in Jesus Christ. <clears throat> uh, we do not want you to become lazy. There's that word Northros again. Uh, but to imitate those th- who through faith and patience inherit what has been promised. Now then, he did all that just to say, you guys need to be talking about important stuff. You're talking, you're talking about baptism. Okay, that's fundamental. It's important, but it's fundamental. You're talking about repentance, fundamental. I want you to talk about meat. I want you to talk about how important Jesus is, who he was, and what he fulfilled. And so he starts again right here. This is an on-wrap to a discussion about Melchizedek for next week. This is, this is, the, this is where he wants to go. So I'm going to lay the foundation for the next 15 minutes for Josh so that uh, he will be able to talk about Melchizedek. When God made his promise to Abraham, since there was no one greater for him to swear by, he swore by himself, saying, If I don't surely bless you and give you many descendants. Literally, I'll come back to that. And so after, after persevering patiently, Abraham received what was promised. Men swear by someone greater than themselves, and the oath confirms what, they, what is said, puts an end to all the arguments, because God wanted to make the unconditional nature of his purpose very clear to the heirs of what was promised. He confirmed it with an oath. God did this so that by two unchangeable things in which it's impossible for God to lie. What are those two, two unchangeable things? <clears throat> there are books written about this. I believe the two unchangeable things are... Uh, the Abrahamic covenant and the fact that Jesus is a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. I believe those are the two unchangeable things he wants to talk about. Um, We who have fled take hold to this hope offered us uh, may be greatly encouraged. Turn with me to uh, Genesis 12. Let's go back to Genesis 12 and just take a look at the promises to Abraham for just a second. Abram, being in the earth of the Chaldees, God came to him and he said, Lord, the Lord said to Abram, Go forth from your country, your relatives, from your father's house to a land I will show you, and I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. And so you will be a blessing. I will bless you. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse those who curse you. And in all your families of the earth shall be blessed. In all you, in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Okay, that's the great promise that God made to Abraham in chapter 12. 
Um, why, do you, why did God make that promise? Well, I, no one knows why God made that promise, but in the Talmud, it tells a little story about Abraham, that Abraham's father, Terah, um, owned, this is apocryphal, sports fans, that don't, that don't go home quoting me and saying this is, this is really, but this is what, how, Talmud answers all the, Talmud tries to answer all the questions, big questions people have. Talmud would say that Abraham's father had an idol shop in their, in their city there. And uh, that uh, one day, Abram's father, Tekoa, came to him and said, uh, Abram, would you watch the shop while I have to go into town? i got to go to the bank, pick up a few things in the store. And Abraham said, fine, I'll watch the shop, not a problem. And this little spark had been going off in Abraham's mind uh, all along that Abraham thought, I-, I don't believe all these idols, all these, I don't believe this stuff. I think there's one God. And so Abraham, uh, Abram, when his father left, he took an axe and he destroyed every idol in his father's shop. Every one of them. And he took the axe and he put it in the hand of the biggest idol in the shop over in the corner. (laughs) And so Abraham's father came back and he was like, what have you done? You've destroyed our livelihood. You've destroyed everything I've worked for. I, we can't, we won't be able to make, make the rent. We can't sell. We can't do anything. And Abram said to his father, why do you not think he did it? And that is the Jews' gift to the world, monotheism. From that, that's why God blessed Abram. That's why God picked Abram out of the Ur of the Chaldees and blessed him. Let's keep going. Uh, If you go to chapter 13, uh, Abraham and Lot separate, and there's another blessing. God continues to unveil the promise. Chapter 15. um, Chapter 15 is, in my opinion, one of of the really important chapters in all the Bible. Um, Verse 6 I'm sorry, verse, verse 4, Then behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This man will not be your heir, talking about Ishmael, uh, but, the one, but one shall come forth from your own body. He will be your heir. That's the promise that you're going to have a kid even though you're this old. That's what's going to happen. Look at verse 6. And Abraham then believed God, and it was credited to him. That's an accounting term. It was credited to him as righteousness. It was, it was his belief. It was nothing he did. It was the belief in the promise that God saw as righteous. Um, and then we get down to verse 9. And I, I'm not, I'll, I'll, let, let me just tell you what happened. So this is what's called a blood path. And this is how they, this is how they did covenants back then. Um, God told Abraham, you go get this stuff and you, you go do this. Go get me a heifer and a, a dove and a ram or what? I don't I don't know all this stuff, but anyway, here's the idea. Abram went and got all those things, and he took a hatchet or a saw or whatever, and he cut those animals straight down the middle. So, if, like right here, there'd be a half a cow, half a ram, half a sheep, half a bird, and they're split right down the middle. So, what's in the middle? Guts, blood. And the idea is we're going to make a covenant so we'll both walk through this blood path 
and we'll get blood all over our feet. And if either one of us breaks this covenant, may it be unto you as it is to these animals. You got to die. That's it. That's pretty serious. I, I really wanted both of my son-in-laws to do that. <coughs> Before... <laughs> I, th I threatened. I threatened. <coughs> Then in chapter 22, here's the, here's the other restating of the covenant. Wasn't in, the, in that, I don't remember the specifics of the story, but how, uh, like, Abram was put to sleep or something, or God was the only one that went through. Yeah, that, I, and, I, and I, pre, I appreciate you saying it, because that, that's the most important part, and I always leave it out, and then when I get home, Dale says, you left out the most important part. <laughs> So he did this blood path, and God caused a great... It, it, he waited. All, Abraham waited all day long. And God caused a great sleep to fall over Abraham. And I don't know if it was just in his mind, or I, I don't know how it worked, but God came in the, in the vision as a fiery pot, and God walked through the blood path. Abraham never walked through the blood path. Know that. That God saw from the beginning. And, and, and why, Mr. Welcher, why did God not show up on time? I mean, it was supposed to be like at 12 o'clock and he waited to wait. And play. I think the whole thing has, I think this whole thing has to do with the fact that God knew that when he walked through the deal, Jesus was going to have to die. Because he knew, he's omnipotent. He knew we can't keep our end of the bargain. We can't do it. And so that was a death sentence. I appreciate you, appreciate you saying that. <clears throat> Chapter 22, the Akita. The, Jewish, the, the, the Jews call this the Akita. Christians call it the, the sacrifice of Isaac. And Jews are quick to point out to us, well, he didn't get sacrificed. I mean, <clears throat> the Akita literally means the binding of Isaac. And the binding... Uh, implies that Isaac was probably in his late teens or early 20s and Abraham is almost 100 years old. Now, I'm going to tell you something. I'm, I'm pretty stout. But if I, if I take Dylan and we're going to go, so I'm going to go sacrifice him, I better, I better get a two before because I'm not going to be able to put him. I mean, he, the point is the, that Isaac yielded to the, to the tying up. And so I think the Jews get it right. So, they, they, they do this. Um, look at verse 16. By myself I have sworn. Well, I swear. I swear on a stack of Bibles. I swear on my mother's grave. You swear by something greater than yourself. What's greater than God? I swear by myself, declares the Lord, because you have done this thing, you have not withheld your, own, your son, your only son. That's a precursor, precursor to John 3.16, Monogenes, the only begotten son. Indeed, I will greatly bless you and I will multiply your seed as the stars. Galatians we're not going to have time to read that, but Galatians makes a real point. Paul makes a real point in there that he doesn't say seeds here. He says seed, one guy. 
I will greatly multiply your seed as the stars of the heaven, the sand on which the seashore. Your seed shall possess the gate of your enemies. And in your seed, all the nations of the earth will be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. God saw something in Abraham that, um, that caused him to say, this is, this is a new family. This is a new start. This is how I want to start this thing. All right, let's go back and let's read this last uh, part just again. Verse 16, men swear by something greater than themselves and an oath confirms what was said and puts an end to all the argument. But God wanted to make the unconditional nature of his purpose very clear to the heirs of what he promised. He confirmed it with an oath. What is the oath he confirmed it by? I'm sorry? I would say Jesus' death. That was the confirmation of the oath. He promised Abraham that by your seed... Think about the promises he made to Abraham. I'm going to give you the whole land of Cana. I'm going to give you the land of Canaan. Where did Abraham bury Sarah? I'm sorry? The cave of Machpelah that he bought from Uriah the Hittite. Think Now, God makes all these promises to Abraham... And Abraham has to buy his promise? And he didn't gripe about it? That just seems unfair. Through you, all the nations, through your seed, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Did Abraham ever realize that promise? Did he ever visualize it? Absolutely not. His oath was confirmed in Jesus' death on the cross. That blows me away. God did, did this uh, so that two unchangeable things in which it's impossible for God to... There are crickets in here. <laughs> That's, the Abrahamic covenant and you're a priest forever, just like Melchizedek. I want you, I want you to watch this because I, I love this part. Um, we who have fled to take hold of the hope offered us may be greatly encouraged. We who have fled, we don't have time to read this, but that comes from numbers. It has to do with uh, the, the people who, uh, if you kill somebody accidentally, if you kill somebody accidentally, you can flee to a city of refuge. And as long as the high priest is in power, you get to stay and live in the city of refuge. We who have fled refers to us. And our high priest will never die. He's there. The other thing, will lay hold. Where did that come from? I think it comes from 1 Kings 49. And it's, it's about um, Adonijah, David's oldest son. Adonijah, when uh, uh, David was going to uh, succeed, success the throne, he was going to give it to Solomon. Well, Adonijah tried to pull a coup and he had a big party, and he invited Nathan and all kinds. And he was going to kill them when they came so, because they weren't going to anoint him. David secretly had Solomon anointed. But Adonijah, when David found out what Adonijah was doing, Adonijah ran and grabbed hold of the horns of the altar. If you look at 1 Kings 49, because he was seeking sanctuary. As long as I'm holding on to the horns, you won't kill me. And that's 
that's the, the picture he's given to us. We who have fled and take hold offered uh, to us may be greatly encouraged. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul. Hope. It's our anchor. Firm and secure, it enters the sanctuary behind the curtain where the high priest can only go one time a year. Jesus went. Where Jesus went before us, he's entered on by our behalf, and he's become a priest forever, just like Melchizedek. Next week we're going to talk about Melchizedek. I love this stuff. Josh, do you have, you have anything? But not theological. But with some of the angst here, I think that goes with, with this stuff, I think it's because we have a tendency to read things out of context. We're a proof texting kind of tradition, mm-hmm. unfortunately. And I think if we're paying attention to the flow of it, just before this, we have this, um, this call not to be like the Israelites, mm-hmm. not to be like those who didn't enter the promise. And it's not as though they didn't enter it because they had one, you know, example of disobedience or something like that, there's this kind of pattern of disobedience that leads to them not entering into rest. And so we're called not to imitate those people. So we don't have to worry, like, I've heard something similar. If you say, you know, the F word before an 18-wheeler hits you, you're going to hell. That's not what it's mm-hmm. about. It's not this one-time mm-hmm. thing. It's, it's kind of this pattern of disobedience, of, of breaking covenant over and over, mm-hmm. uh, that, that I think maybe sheds some light on this. Don't be like those people who, through their patterns of disobedience, don't enter into the rest. Right. Not a, a one-time uh, screw-up thing. So that's why then he points to things like Abraham. Abraham is a pattern of faithful obedience. Did Abraham make mistakes? Absolutely. Absolutely. But it doesn't mean he's out all of a sudden because there is this greater faithfulness mm-hmm. that follows even when he screws up. So we look to Abraham. Mm-hmm. And we move beyond the milk, not in the sense that it's no longer important, but that milk is foundational. This is repentance. That's we're reorienting our lives. Baptism. We're taking on Christ. It's this commitment to this covenant, mm-hmm. as Randall is showing very clearly. We covenant to be this kind of people. And so the question isn't how much can I break covenant before I'm no longer in it? It's how do I live faithfully to this? Well, let's look at Abraham. When we get to chapter eleven, let's look at this, you know, cloud of faithful witnesses. That this is this is the kind of people we're to be about. Um, with maybe preparing us for it. That's all. I, you you just tie it all together, man. That's just all. thank you, uh, thank you.